The book of Joshua starts on page 81 of Ben Ware's survey of the Old Testament, and we'll begin there looking at it. There's a bit of a controversy amongst uh, conservative scholars, those who believe in the scriptures as the true word of God, as to who the author of the book of Joshua is. And we're reading from the text here. It's clear that Joshua did write some things found in the book, and you can look at chapter 18, verse 9, chapter 24, verse 26. The author was surely an eyewitness of these events, as the details given reflect a precise knowledge of the events. Furthermore, the author was living at the time these events took place because certain statements were made, such as in chapter 6, verse 25, Rahab was still living. It's clear that a few of the verses could not or would not have been written by Joshua. Take, for instance, chapter 24, verses 29 through 30, and 31 through 33. And we can look at that for just a moment. Joshua 24. Turning there myself, verse 20, chapter 24, verse 29. After these things... Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being 110 years old, and they buried him in his own inheritance at Timnath-serah, which is in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gaash. Okay, so clearly Joshua could not record his own death. But Benware on page 682 uh, in the paragraph, the first paragraph there, he says that for the purposes of this study, he takes the authorship as that of Joshua, being written by Joshua, around 1390 B.C. You'll also remember the closing statements in the book of uh, Deuteronomy refer to Moses' death, and with the reference to Moses' death, uh, Moses couldn't have written that either, but the five books are of the of the. Pentateuch, the Torah, are attributed to Moses. So this is not um, new territory. If we were to take someone's own personal notes about their life and publish them after death, the comments we made would not mean that the authorship was not from the person writing it. Okay, back to Joshua on page 82 to, in Benware's book. Let's take a look at the outline of the book. First of all, we have two parts to the outline, the processing the land in chapters 1 through 12, and then dividing the land, chapters 13 through 24. And so they're processing the land, they enter into Canaan in chapters 1 through 5, and they conquer Canaan in chapters 6 through 12. Then dividing the land, chapters 13 through 24. First, the inheritance of the tribes, 13 through 22, and the last message of Joshua, chapters 23 and 24. There's a great key word in Joshua, victory. And chapter 6, the beginning of the conquest, is the key chapter. And you can look at the key verses there. Joshua and Caleb, the two who lived through the, the uh, wandering in the wilderness. The title of the book refers to the book's main character, Joshua, and the geography is the plains of Moab, Gilgal, and Canaan. Okay, let's look down at the purpose of Joshua on page 82 of the book. Continuing, the purpose of Joshua is to record the conquest of the land of Canaan by Israel and therefore show the faithfulness of God in, make, in making of Abraham a great nation. The years covered by Joshua. The book of Joshua covers about 30 years 
of Israel's history. However, the emphasis is on the five to seven years of Joshua's military activities after the conclusion of the conquest of Canaan by Joshua, the 85-year-old, the 85-year-old Caleb recalled that he was 40 years old when he had when he went and spied out the land in the days of Moses. Out of the 45 years that followed that event, 38 or 39 of those years were spent wandering in the wilderness, leaving five to seven years for the conquest of Joshua. Background points on Joshua. Joshua was assigned task. The first task given to Joshua was to destroy the Canaanite power in the land. Fortified cities, key Canaanite kings, they were the targets. Joshua would not have had time to search out all of the land, but he faithfully destroyed the key cities. On both the east and west side of the Jordan River, Joshua destroyed a total of 31 kings. That's pretty substantial. His second responsibility was to divide up the land amongst the tribes of Israel. Once the land was parceled out among the tribes, it became the responsibility of each tribe to enter its territory and eliminate the Canaanites there. Joshua obeyed the Lord and completed his assigned tasks. Unfortunately, as history reveals, even though Joshua was faithful, some of the individual tribes did not take their task seriously. Israel's foreign policy. Deuteronomy 7, Deuteronomy 20, Israel's relationship with other nations are detailed. Israel could enter into restricted treaties with nations who lived outside the boundaries of the land given in the covenant. But nations inside these boundaries were to be totally destroyed. No treaties or covenants could be made with them. And you can see the extermination of the Canaanites chart six pages further down the text on page 89. Okay, so let's go ahead and summarize the book of Joshua with Ben Ware, page 83. They enter into Canaan in the five chapters at the beginning. God is never thwarted by the death of his servant. Although the death of Moses must have been a sad event, bringing encouragement to him was God who immediately appeared. Joshua was guaranteed God's presence and blessing. So just as God was with Moses, God was with uh, Joshua as well. And in preparation for entering into the land of Canaan, men were sent into the nearby area of Jericho to spy out the mission. Now maybe some of you know this great story, but God provided the right people in the right place at the right time to make this event uh, successful as long as Israel would obey. And in the case of Jericho, they did obey. So they meet the most unlikely hero in the Bible by the name of Rahab, and she was a prostitute. Rahab not only protected, we're at the top of page 84, reading in that first paragraph, she not only protected them, but also greatly encouraged them by revealing that the mighty people of Canaan were terrified by Israel. This fulfilled God's promise to bring great fear among the people of the land. And when Jericho was destroyed, Rahab was spared. And she would later marry a prince of the tribe of Judah and become an ancestor of Jesus. You could read about that in First um, Chronicles 2, 10 through 15 and Matthew 1, verses 4 through 6 in the genealogy there. Rahab is an Old Testament illustration 
of the marvelous grace of God. No one can outsend God's grace. As Israel prepared to cross the Jordan, God gave specific instructions that the Ark of the Covenant was to lead the people as a visible reminder that God keeps His covenants. The crossing of the Jordan River was an event to parallel the Red Sea crossing. And when the priest's sandals touched the water, they stopped and Israel crossed over on dry ground. After crossing the Jordan, Israel camped on the other side at Gilgal. You can see that on the map on page 85. And that would be a base camp for several years for the army. The Canaanites feared and were, the Israel was supernaturally aided in the crossing. On the west side of the Jordan, several events took place before the conquest actually began. First, it was necessary to circumcise the males of Israel. This was the external sign of the Abrahamic covenant, Benware reminds us, which the man of Israel would wear on his body. So this is something that is a reminder that God's going to keep his promises. Also, Israel celebrated the first Passover in the new land and the witness uh, of the, the end of the witness of the provision of manna. Finally, the preparation for the conquest. In preparation, Joshua met the real commander of the army in chapter 5, verses 13 through 15. He meets the Lord himself. So Joshua and the army are ready. And chapters 6 through 12 talk about the great conquering. These chapters give a greatly condensed account of the conquering of Canaan. During the next five to seven years, Joshua would attack and defeat Canaanite strongholds, go back to rest at Gilgal, and then return to battle again. The conquest of Canaan took place in three stages. First, the conquest of central Canaan. Second, the southern campaign. And finally, third, the northern campaign. And there was victory in the central campaign in Canaan. Chapter 6 through 8, verse 35. Though they were assured the victory in the battles, if they obeyed God, that the battle of Jericho was not to be won in a conventional way. And this is a very interesting text where they were to march around the city and then blow trumpets and then the, the uh, walls would fall. And this was an event that took uh, seven days of marching around the city. And then on the seventh day, they were to blow the trumpet seven times. And then the walls would fall. Now, after dealing such a strong blow to Jericho and such a great defeat, God had given instructions. But uh, there was a man who did not listen. And his name was Achan. And this is the final uh, paragraph on page 84. One man, Achan, appropriated for himself that which belonged to God. God said, don't take things from Jericho, but burn them. Achan did not listen. So Israel went to the next small little town. It looked like it'd be an easy defeat. But because of Achan's sin, God judged them, and they did not win that battle the first time they fought it.